Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And welcome back to the Doghouse, presented by sponsor Bet Online, where the game starts. And back for this week, Butcher Box, just in time for Thanksgiving. Get yourself some protein. He's Mario. I'm Murray. And here we're here to talk Mississippi State football in the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, David Murray, and he's the All-American Bulldog, 10-year NFL linebacker, proud Mississippi Delta man, Mario Hagan. And before we get going this, Mario, happy Thanksgiving to you and the family. Hey, David, thanks. Thanks for the introduction, man. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Hopefully, if you're a maroon and white fan, <laughs> it'll be a great, a great Thanksgiving by 10, 10 p.m. tomorrow night. Well, it's going to start at 6 o'clock Central Time on ESPN, and we'll get into the fact that it's uh, yet again on Thanksgiving, which you have great familiarity with yourself, and how that uh, comes about. It may change coming in the future when the SEC revises their scheduling, but for now, it's set. Now, all everybody's asking about the weather, and we're going to talk about that, too. Right now, the latest forecast I checked for Oxford, and boy, do you know I hate typing those letters into my computer, but it <laughs> looks like about uh, through the day... Not much rain chance, then all of a sudden, right smack at game time, it jumps from 15% to over 60%, 70% by around 7 o'clock. So every expectation is it's going to be wet on Hemingway Field tomorrow. Of course, both teams play in the same weather, but we'll get into how that affects the various offenses in particular as uh, Mississippi State's air raid versus an Ole Miss ground game. We'll talk about that. We'll look at the matchups. First off, though, I want to ask you one thing about Mario. I mentioned that you played all four of your varsity games in the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving night. I asked Mike Leach this Monday night, and he said it was a good question. He didn't have an answer on his own. What do players think about a short practice week, particularly at the end of a long season? They come off a game Saturday, and by Thursday afternoon, they're on the football field again. As a player, is that good? Is it bad? Does it depend on the record? What are some of the factors that go into a short week getting ready, especially for a rivalry game? For the most part, David, I would say most players, it varies on the record and what they're playing for. Um, for for me personally, it didn't matter. Uh, a lot of that, only one year out of the four years I remember, I was coming off uh, a little bit of a neck injury. Uh, and as you remember, the uh, we played in the ice game in 2000. Oh, yeah. Against Arkansas, and I was, I was carried out. And uh, and got into the hospital. I laid there for a while and uh, carried out, but it was okay a couple of days after. But I had a little little bit of a neck injury, so trying to get ready and prepare my body, my mind, my soul to play in a game of the magnitude of the Egg Bowl was a little difficult at the time to to prepare for it. Though I played in it, I had a fairly decent game, but the likes of a neck injury running against a guy like Deuce McAllister and trying to stop a Joe Gunn. That was a, a tough task that night. So uh, at that point, for that game particularly in that year, that was a really tough one uh, as a player. And I think that's the biggest factor that would play into how players look at it. What's going on surrounding the days in between those games and what is at stake uh, winning or losing that game uh, on Thanksgiving? Well, what's at stake in this game? Both teams are bowl eligible, Ole Miss by all accounts, depending on whether Tennessee gets into the playoff, not the playoff, the New Year's Six Bowl system, now that they're out of the playoff picture. Ole Miss is playing for the Citrus Bowl. If they win this game, they would be, what, 9-3. and three. However, 
if Mississippi State pulls off this game, and by the way, that line keeps dropping. Somebody out in the desert thinks they know something about it. Um, Mississippi State would finish 8-4 and four and probably end up stealing that bid to Orlando in the Citrus Bowl. Otherwise, I think the default position would be Tampa and the new, I think, ReliaQuest, whatever. I just go by the city name. I've quit using sponsor's name in most situations there. Outback was fun, but uh, it's the Tampa Bowl to me. So State's got a lot of motivation in that regard to play in a really warm weather game as well. So both teams should have that. But you mentioned motivation. You mentioned the week. Yeah, we've tried to keep up somewhat, not obsessively on my part, I don't know about you, about what's going on in Oxford these days with uh, coaching rumors swirling and nothing has really been done to squash that. So you wonder about the team's mindset there. But let's take it back again. Thanksgiving, you yourself. This was when the rivalry was really wicked. Jackie Sherrill and the various Rebel coaches there, and you went 3-1 and one in these games. These games, when you look at what's going on with the coaching uh, obscurity over there in Oxford, I, I don't think they'll have an issue with getting motivated if all of these rumors are true as far as the players go. But I, you have to think that there's some issue with game planning with what's surrounding uh, this game and leading up to what will Lane Kiffin obviously do? The, uh, David, you, you, you're you following the Twitter world uh, just as I have, and Lane Kiffin is a funny guy, funny guy, uh, great coach in the matter. But you, he's going back and forth with an alleged report from a reporter breaking the news. And you, got, you have to think that a coach going back and forth, finding that time to find the humor – and that you have to think that he's not focused on what's going on with that Ole Miss football team. You have to think that he's focused more on clearing his name and keeping his name safe, knowing what he what may happen when lose a draw on Thursday night. I just think that that's a hard thing for the players to to follow and trust. It's not uh, their motivation, but it's the trust playing for that coach on Thursday night. I would think would be the big issue. And in a game where the margins appear to be so fine, anything like that can be a distraction. Then again, it may motivate. You, you just don't know until guys get on the field. And Mario, I've noticed over the years too, we, you can have all the pregame speeches, all the buildup you want, until they get on the field and maybe one or two series in the game sometimes, you, you really aren't sure, are they entirely bought in? Because I don't think players even know if they're totally bought into games when they're kicking off now. It's just such a different world from what you, know, you and I are used to in those years. It's just a different breed of athlete and a different breed of preparation for games. As we saw last week, I don't even think now even the head coaches, and Nick Saban and others, they can't even be sure, is their team going to, in the proverbial phrase, show up? You just don't know. Yeah, we we talked about motivation so far, and you talked about a different world and and what we play in now. And I, I think I know what you're saying. Guys like uh, could obviously opt out uh, and going to playoffs. That's a little bit ahead of where we may be heading. But you have to worry about not only a coach distraction right now, but guys are wondering what they're playing for on Thursday night. Some guys are looking ahead to their potential pro future, and so they're wondering if. if my coach is not bought in. If this coaching staff is not bought in, they're not focused on this game. Why should I go out there and lay it on the line trying to win a football for, football game for him? And potentially he won't coach me in my bowl game. Potentially I get injured for a guy that didn't care about me, didn't care about this team, didn't care about what we built 
over the last couple of years, nonetheless, this season, move uh, uh, throughout the season. So I think it's a lot of things that weigh into how these guys come out and play. Now, for Mississippi State, I don't sleep on these guys. It's, it's still a robbery. It's not as, as, as big as it used to be, in my opinion. It's not as fierce. It's, a, it's lost a little luster in it, but it's still the egg bowl. <laughs> and we'll get back to that in a moment. But first, basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, mixed martial arts, tennis, boxing, and even winter golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV, capital B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. And if you like what you're hearing, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? All right, Mary, you said what I was going to bring up already, and I wrote my SEC power rankings today, which is usually kind of tongue-in-cheek, a little fun with it. Let's face it, I put Vanderbilt number 10th in the SEC power ranking this week only because after two big wins, they won where everybody behind them was losing. But I think that also reflects the fact, too, that, again, today's athletes are a little more unpredictable, maybe the coaches as well. When you played, as I mentioned, the Egg Bowl was the Egg Bowl. It was everything. The ferocity was there on the field, and you knew a lot of the players on both sides, but still, once it kicked off, I mean, it was personal. Do you think today, because so many guys, they go on recruiting trips together, they play in camps together, sometimes they play in high school leagues together, is the level of animosity between the rosters there that it used to be, uh, maybe even the transfer portal has cut into some of this. It's almost the players are sometimes more professional, I think, than the coaches in these games. It's a, first of all, David, you got you have to look at what this season has looked like. This game is, is not as big as it seemed. They, they both have had what I call some mediocre wins uh, against some teams that uh, you look at uh, Ole Miss, for example, they beat an Auburn team who struggled for the most part. Not really a big win. They beat a Kentucky team that we thought was going to be great. Uh, ended up not being such a big win based on what they've done in the back end of the season. Mississippi State, Arkansas, ah, we take it. A&M, they're down. So when you look at the schedule, that's one part of it. So it's nothing to really, in my mind, to play for itself. Just a little pride for Mississippi. But as far as the players go, they're focused more on uh, deal. They're focused more on social media. They they go back and forth on social media so much that when they get to the field, they've taken everything out of the game. So in my opinion, no, it's not the same. When I saw Deuce McAllister, the only time I saw him, when I got a chance to show him and tell him that I was as just as good as he was or better, is <laughs> when we played that game. All right? Exactly. I looked. At, I didn't have a chance to talk to Romero Miller on, on Twitter and settle the beef over words. I didn't have a chance to hit Eli Manning over Twitter. I needed to see him that day. On that very day was the opportunity that I had to show him who I was. And I just know for a fact that with Twitter and all the social media, all the camp and all the things they do nowadays, they just don't have the same rivalry that you would hope for when players didn't have access to all of this friendliness on social media site back and forth. I just don't think it's there. 
I'm going to throw out another factor, too, and we'll see one example. Of course, Malik Heath, former Bulldog, is now on the Rebel roster playing well for them in a different type offense also. That brings me back again to the transfer portal. You've got to think now, Mario, and I hate to say this in a lot of ways because I'm certainly old-fashioned. I believe if you sign with a school, you commit to it. Well, coaches have kind of ruined that by signing with schools, then jumping to other schools, almost at the drop of a hat, no matter what the money. Still, there was always a a degree of buy-in with the school when you were there. I really wonder now, Mario, if increasingly players, when they line up to play another team, aren't kind of measuring that team and thinking, I wonder where I would fit into that lineup next year. Do they really want to alienate a program over there? You know, Yes, make a point on the field. I can play. I'm good. I'm good enough for you to come calling for me, but maybe not so much to show up the other team. I, I could go kind of all sorts of emotional angles there. It's just a different world, and coaches have to adjust to the reality of it. They're not going to sit there and in three preseason or pregame moments in the final locker room, whip them up into a state of hate and ready to play. This has got to be cultivated over the course of an entire season, to my mind. Tell me I'm wrong. Listen, you're right. This is the, the participation trophy era, right? This is what you get when you get the participation trophy, when when guys don't want to see it through, don't want to want to fight for a playing time, don't want to fight to put that jersey on and make that school great. This is what you get. You get guys, listen, kids, you want you everybody wants to be successful. You have a right. But if you ask my opinion, it's just as soft when you go to one one school and because you may don't have your way for one season. And 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 now all of a sudden, hey, I didn't get my way. I'm going to go over here. That's why we have a big problem with the transfer portal. That's why we have big problems and rivalries, like you said. This guy was just on the other sideline last year. Now he's over here in, a, in another uniform playing for the, the, the biggest rivalry that you in the state. So there's no way I would have gone to play for Ole Miss taking off that maroon and white jersey. I just think they're different, and we can't blame these kids for being different. But in our, our time, my time, guys just didn't have that kind of heart to go sleep with the enemy. There's no way in hell – Fred Smooth, myself, Desenzo Miller, you name it, from Johnny Cooks on down, will go over to Oxford and put that nasty uniform on. There's no way in hell that that would happen. I think we need to bring you in tomorrow into that locker room in Oxford to give those guys a talk and show them what reality is in this. Certainly the fans love to hear what you're saying there, Mario. All right, let's turn to the game itself. I mentioned the weather. Mississippi State, air raid offense. And, and I asked Mike Leach Monday and did not get a really good answer on it because he went down a trail giving the history of passing play in college football more than how passing happens in a wet weather or bad weather game. But I think he was making a larger point that we media, we fans, make a bigger deal of this than really is the fact. Maybe the true drop back, deep bomb type passing is affected by weather. But fields are so good, cleats are so good, athletes are so much different and trained. Do you think weather has the same impact as it would? Because once upon a time, you look at this matchup, air raid versus a ground game, you automatically favor the ground game. Is that the case now? Well, I can understand a bit of what Mike Leach was saying. You look at, yes, you would think ground and pound is wet, hold on to the football. That's an advantage back in the day. But with teams throwing the ball like they do, you also have to understand there be, could be some slip-ups in the secondary that may leave some guys wide open. There may be uh, – I mean, that's the biggest factor. 
that you uh, slip up guys blowing coverages or just running with a man and suddenly fall. It could happen on both sides of the football. You look at possession. A guy catches the football and a man tackles him and slips off if it's wet, if it's slippery. So yeah, that's from a, a passing attack. You look at the run game. Hey, the ball's wet. And, and, and no matter how you do it, if it starts coming down, that ball is really slippery and guys start to punch it out. So there are various factors. It's a 50-50 split depending on what type of football players you have and how you call the football game, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, Mike Leach don't have a five plays. So we'll, we'll see how it goes when we line it up tomorrow night. Just a little bit of exaggeration there. One thing, too, that I don't think players or fans appreciate as much, those amazing gloves that receivers and defensive backs wear that can almost attract a ball by magnetism and suck them in, they don't work as well when they get wet. They almost turn into a detriment, in fact, when they get wet today's gloves. Yeah. And again, you know, you see these things, most of these, uh, this is quick, this equipment that's made by Nike, Under Armour and all the various brands. They, they are made for us dry weather, cold weather game. I don't think that you can fight the elements of, of, of wetness, of moisture out there. If you pay attention to the game tomorrow and that rain start falling down uh, and hitting, hitting that turf, hitting that grass, you're going to see guys start to take the gloves off. You're going to see quarterback looking for a towel. Every other series, the center will have a towel on the back. Quarterback will have one on his backside. You'll see trainers, equipment guys constantly and consistently running towels out there just to make sure that they can have possession of the football. So definitely rain is one of those elements that hard to hard to uh, uh, make even or combat uh, with equipment. You know, I'm going to ask you a question because I've heard all my life in football the one advantage for an offense in wet weather is offense knows where they're going. Defense has to see where they're going and react. Is there any truth to that? That's that's the advantage in any kind of weather, David. That's no advantage in just <laughs> the rain. The offense knows where they're going. We're always guessing on defense. That's why we hate some of the offensive rules. They think <laughs> those guys over there. You know me. I'm a defensive guy. I, I love them. I love them when they score, but when they can't get it right, I got to bash them a little bit, man. No, but seriously. That's a that's just the general rule of the game. I, I don't think there are many advantages as far as a play call or a play count, except uh, footing maybe. And like I mentioned earlier, guys sliding off tackles because it's wet. Jerseys are slippery, a little more slippery when when there's moisture. We all know that anything you start to put a lot of moisture on, it gets a, a bit slippery at times. And so I think that would be the biggest advantage versus uh, just a play call. Yes, you mentioned the slippery jerseys, slippery everything. Uh, this puts more emphasis on good fundamental tackling than, say, a normal dry weather game where hitting takes the precedence now. You've got to have good technique, and you've got to wrap up because guys moving forward with momentum, they're going to tear out of that slippery tackle in that regard. Now, Ole Miss has shown they've got some pretty slippery running backs in that regard. They have a, running, they have a quarterback who can move on his feet as well. Uh, Mississippi State. It was a frustrating to me, I will openly admit it, that State did not try to run the ball more and just work on the ground game against East Tennessee. Now, to be fair, they held Dylan Johnson out. He could have played in that game, but they kept him back for one more week to have him fully ready as much as he can be for this particular matchup. Jacobius Marks got limited uh, runs, uh, more catches in that regard. Mario, I've been frustrated. I've made no bones about it that State, in certain situations, just always defaults to the pass, fourth and one, third and one, things like that. And I know, I know most Mike Leach pass plays are little more than long handoffs. So you can call it the same thing. At the same time, with weather being a factor, 
don't you just have to line up and say, we're going to get that yard the hard way because DJ, Joe, here's the ball. Find that seam, hit that hole, if necessary, drag a guy with you and move the chains. I don't think State wins if they can't run the ball and move the chains this week. It, it'll definitely be a tough road to hoe if you don't run the football, especially with the elements you're looking at. Uh, practicing the run, I, you know, fans, I'll give you a different perspective from a, a player, and, and I've never been a coach, college coach, but in game like this, you have a certain – thing you want to show, certain things you don't want to show the offense. Now, you know, I I, I joke about Mike Leach a lot, his five plays, but I'm sure <laughs> Coach Leach has been coaching a long time, and he knows how big this game is to the, the, the alumni, the boosters, all of the people that represent the maroon and white. So I would be hard-pressed to think that he would want to show everything that he's capable of doing coming into uh, tomorrow night's game. David – Part of that, too, and I don't remember you there, but keep in mind, we talk about the five plays, the eight plays, the index card. We both know there's far more plays than that. But as we find out, it's not so much the plays called on the sideline. That's a framework. It is up to Will Rogers to make that final call. He's the one deciding, do we run or throw? Again, you're talking about a, a kid that you're giving, giving a steal. He's, a, a, he's not a pro yet. Right? But he's a he's a, a nice quarterback. I love his skill set. But we're asking him to drive a bus that Mike Leach should be driving. So I I, I disagree with putting that burden on on Will Rogers. I call in a play. You give the option, and not not one hundred percent. I don't want that burden on a, on on what I call a still a kid, an undeveloped uh, professional at this moment. Again, the what I would like to see from Mike Leach, and it's unorthodox for his air raid offense, but especially knowing the elements, a capable uh, potential elements tomorrow night. Eye formation. You know, I'm an old school guy, and people may not like it nowadays. They don't recruit the type of players to play against that type of offense, that type of ground and pound, which in my mind, in my opinion, makes it a great situation. Why don't we install some of that? Why don't we put some of that in and try that again? Line it straight up. Smash mouth. I'm going left. I'm going right. You have to stop me. Get me a big fullback tight end and tell that guy across from you that I'm just going to be better than you. That's what I would like to see from Mike Leach and his offense. Just change it up a little bit. The spread offense doesn't allow many, many plays unless you pull left to right. And they see it so much. They're prepared for it, David. I'd like to see a little bit of power on counter oil, line three tight ends up and just smash mouth and just push Miss Ole Miss out of Oxford tomorrow night. Unfortunately, there's no tight ends on this roster, much less three of them. But uh, I get where you're going. Now, we have seen, and Rocky Falcon and I were talking about it the other day in the press box, you're seeing a couple of veer-type elements in the offense with the split backfield and how they're used as uh, all but a blocking back uh, in certain situations. So that's maybe an indication that they're looking more towards expanding the run game. Of course, we've seen some jet sweeps. A change-up, man. A change-up is great for everybody in these situations. Trick. Trick Lane Kiffin, all right? Trick Lane Kiffin, make him think something. Hell, Lane's uh, tricking everybody in, in Oxford right now. They don't know what he's doing. Why not trick him? And get in a battle of tricks and see who gets the treat on that one now. Of course, defensively, we've commented on how the return of Jaden Crumedy, who will have his own decision to make about going pro, we most of us suspect he will, even though he played barely a month of this final season at State. He has made all the difference on the defensive front, even against the good teams. And this week, his presence will be at a premium against an Ole Miss attack with um, 
you know, I pretty much concede that Judkins, the freshman running back, is going to be, win the award, the Connerly, for most valuable player in this state because he's had a heck of a year up there. And, of course, you have the transfer running back who's been a good one this season as well. But Jaden and his defensive line, they've got to start it. they just got to control that line of scrimmage because if Ole Miss is allowed to run the ball or even if they're able to force their way into running the ball, moving the chains, moving the clock, get State behind the scoreboard, this could be a long night tomorrow. So I think that front bulldog box has just got to rise to the occasion. And I'm setting you up for this, Mario, but especially in the weather conditions, this shapes up to me as a linebacker on running back game. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Again, David, you have to understand that this Ole Miss offensive attack is potent. They, they are actually, in my opinion, they're a bit underachieving, as well as this Mississippi State offensive attack. So, what you have to live with is that they're going, they're going to have some success one way or another running the football. Dart has been uh, great at quarterback running. Zach Evans, as you mentioned, and Quinn Sean Jenkins is just a stud at it, right? He's, he's, he, uh, elevated himself into some of the old Miss history books. And I don't, I don't look to stop him tomorrow night. I look to contain him. And if Mississippi State can contain this offensive attack and, and score on the other side, which they could very well put up some points against this old Miss defense, it's just one of those things tomorrow night. I wouldn't worry about the run game. I'd worry about it being a track meet and who's going to be the fastest, uh, who's going to fit, get to the finish line first, Mississippi State or Ole Miss. I just think it'll be a high-scoring game. Uh, both defenses are going to give up some big play, going to give up some in the passing and running game. It's just what you should expect tomorrow night, regardless of the weather. And speaking of big plays, explosive plays, Emmanuel Forbes, now the FPS record holder for career pick sixes. Mario, you played with a couple of pretty fair cornerbacks, as I recall. Certainly one of them who would tell you he's a pretty good cornerback and uh, another low-key guy on the other side. But uh, what Emmanuel Forbes is doing is just frankly amazing. I mean, uh, he can he can sit there and tell Fred Smoot, I've done things you never did. I've got six pick sixes in my career and four of them in SEC play. And now a guy who wasn't even on any All-American preseason teams has shot to the top of the list. It's just a great year for a guy who probably, even though he's a true junior, we pretty much concede he just played his last game on Scott Field. I, I would, I'd hate to think so. But I, I don't know. I, I remember a young kid himself had to make a decision to come back for the senior year. As hard as it was, I made that decision. So I don't think uh, that, you know, Emmanuel Forbes would have a hard – it's hard not to come back and play for the Maroon and White. It's hard not to love that city. But what he's doing and has done is remarkable. Young man, I, I love – if he ever listens, if anybody can tell, I'd love to see him play again next year. But you're right, David. Uh, this young man probably played his last game at Scott Field, definitely his last game. And, uh, well, pending a bowl, pending a win tonight, uh, maybe his next to last game in a Bulldog uniform. Big ups to Emmanuel Ford. We need him to play big tomorrow night. We need him to be the All-American that he is, and that gives us a big chance against the school up north. And one of these days we're getting around, I want you to tell some stories about what it was like to play with Fred Smoot, but we don't have time today. And we certainly, <laughs> would, we certainly wouldn't have time to let Fred tell his own stories because then we'd be on here for a couple of hours right now. But between Fred and Robert Bean, there's never been a better pair of cornerbacks. But Emmanuel Forbes, he owns a place now in that top roster on our all-time dogs bite team of best cornerbacks ever to play at Mississippi State. Hey, David, I will tell you this. Whenever you got a week, 
but to sit down and talk about fresh smooth. I got a week for you. And you talk about joy to play with, fun and practice, fun every way is. I think many people don't understand how hard Fred Schmook worked to be where he was in the, in the Mississippi State lore. He earned every bit of it. And Emmanuel Ford deserved to be right up there. But, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, Robert Bean and Fred Schmook was a great pair. But you got to go back and look at Darius Slade and, and John <laughs> Listen, it's a hard fight to be amongst that Mississippi State lore, man. And I'm proud to wear the maroon and white because of it. Yeah, I always put together an all dogs bite era team, which only goes to the existence of the magazine starting in 1977. And it's been pretty easy at cornerback in that regard, because what I've done is I'll have um, obviously Willie Harris and then Fred Smoot as my cornerbacks. And then I create a third position, which modern defenses do to make place for obviously John Banks, you know, Thorpe award winner. I, I leave Darius out only because he was just a two-year guy and Fred had the bigger college career. What Darius has done in the pros has much exceeded that. So this is purely on college, but man, I'm going to have a tough time. Maybe I'll have to move Banks to a safety position just to get Forbes on this team in the future there, because it's a heck of a choice to make, but I look forward to it, obviously. And well, yes, by I the way, linebacker, I know who should be a linebacker on that thing. David, don't make me come get you. No, I no, no. You're there. On that dog. There you go, David. Trust I like me, you're there. <laughs> you and Johnny Cooks in the uh, four, three set. I have definitely been in there. I'm not going to tell you who the third linebacker is. I'll let you figure that one out for yourself in that regard. But uh, I've always had – the defense has always been the easiest team for me to put together. And that's saying something because there's a heck of a lot of great players there, but defense has been the Mississippi State calling card. But we'll see. If Will Rogers puts together a great game tomorrow night and does his job, maybe he starts writing his name not just for statistics, but for wins. Because as you and I know, the only true measure of a quarterback isn't stats, isn't awards, isn't honors. A quarterback is measured by wins. At Mississippi State, a quarterback is measured by Egg Bowl wins. This is Will Rogers' chance to make his name in this rivalry. He's a Mississippi kid. He understands it. And I think he really, really, really wants to come out and make a point tomorrow night in Oxford. I hope he really wants to. And if he wants to have a chance at surpassing John Bond and Dak Prescott, good luck with that. But uh, Will Rogers, here's your shot, buddy. Let's take it home. So let's do that. And that's our doghouse for this week as uh, Mississippi State gets ready for the Egg Bowl, as the rest of y'all get ready for Thanksgiving tomorrow. Uh, what's your plans tomorrow this weekend? Man, I am going to be on pins and needles all <laughs> night until 6 o'clock tomorrow evening. Man, I ain't thinking about a turkey or a ham. <laughs> I am thinking about that egg coming back to start with tomorrow night, David. There's no other thing on my mind right now except to beat that team up north and beat them convincingly. Well, fortunately, we're going uh, Wednesday evening to a professor, a friend, and his house. There, We're having our Thanksgiving Wednesday night, Kathy and I, because she found out when we first got married, uh, don't expect David to be in any kind of dining mood on Thanksgiving Day when the Egg Bowl's played. Uh, she had to adjust to that, but she's been a trooper about it. I don't eat. But I'll tell you this, the greatest Thanksgiving dinner I ever had was a piece of warm ham, on a piece of stale, two pieces of stale bread with a little mustard because I ate it at the very end of the game in Oxford. It was the last piece of food left over in there. On Thanksgiving night, 
1998, and you know dang well, Mario, what we were celebrating that night in Oxford. Yeah, that was 28 to 6 then, right? J.J. Johnson on a bad hamstring, two vaults of the goal line for touchdown. Joe Lee, not Jackie Sherrill, but Joe Lee got the postgame Gatorade shower because of how your defense played that night on Oxford containing the Rebels. And uh, it was also known, I think it's fondly remembered, and I say that sarcastically in Oxford, as the uh, Pine Box game. Maybe, I don't know what the generational X motto of a Pine Box is, but maybe that happens up again this year. All that's uh, off the field business tomorrow night. It's on the field business with Mississippi State, Ole Miss, 6 o'clock Central Time, ESPN. Mario, let's hope next week we're talking about another Bulldog victory and the golden egg comes home. Hey, baby, that's all we need to be talking about next week. Hey, until next time, David, Hell State, go dogs. Happy Thanksgiving to you and the family, and let's enjoy this holiday. You've been listening to The Doghouse, sponsored by Bet Online, where the game starts, and by ButcherBox. And give us a rating here on Apple Podcasts here this weekend, and enjoy your Black Friday, because if the Bulldogs bring home the golden egg, it's going to be a golden Friday in Bulldog country. That's our Doghouse for this week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.